to a friend of a friend podcast, an ongoing conversation between friends about race and dot, dot, dot. I'm Nikki. I'm Austin. I'm Reggie. And I'm Brian. Today, we're back with part two of mass incarceration. Where do we want to start this nice little conversation? (laughs) Nice long conversation, actually. So I think we left off talking about prison labor and um, and how that you know the the prison industrial complex as Angela Davis calls it and how that um, certain people benefit from um, incarcerating uh, disenfranchised people, right? People that aren't going to necessarily matter, and, and I'm using air quotes for people if people can't see me, but who aren't going to matter, quote unquote, to to not exist in society. And um, I just wanted to share um, some of my knowledge of this. Um, the, the prison labor um, comes from. I had a professor when I was in my undergrad who he was a um, very interesting person. He was a two-time felon in, in New York State and um, got out of prison and um, really kind of, you know, uh, did everything right to turn his life around and... Um, he benefited from uh, school in, in prison at the time he was in. So I, I believe it was, he always would talk about Pataki, uh, Governor Pataki, mm-hmm. and, and you know some of his policies and how that would affect the prison. But I do believe under Pataki there was um, access to uh, college in prisons. Um, and again, I'm talking New York State. Um, or maybe Pataki took it away. I don't know. Again, just for listeners to recall, I'm, a lot of this is anecdotal, and, and I'm not a historian. Um, Brian is the facts guy. <laughs> um, but so he he shared with us um, some of his his own experiences being you know incarcerated, and um, I you know the the, the labor is I, I believe they get paid like twenty cents or something an hour or something like that. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously really low wages, um, if any, but, but to my point about, um, people benefiting from the prison labor, um, core craft, which is they make all of our lockers for high schools. They make, um, you know, several things for, um, I guess like tables and there, there's a, a bunch of things that they make all are, um, come through prison labor in New York state. And so, so again, just as an example, um, you know, if somebody who lived the experience, um, and, and again, came out on the other side and turned his life around and now can speak, you know, um, knowledgeably to, to, to people about that experience. Um, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's not myth. It's not paranoia, um, that, that, you know, people, um, now I, I should say, I don't know. He, he never shared with us about his crimes. So I don't know, you know, I, am not, I'm also not suggesting that he was swept away and, you know, um, and, um, did nothing because he, he did say, he did say that, you know, he knows some of the things he did was wrong. So, um, he, he understood he, you know, the way he spoke, he, he felt that, you know, there was some, um, he he knew that he was doing some some things wrong, but um, I don't I don't think he ever said he deserved to be in prison. But my my point is he he wasn't well, like a, that, yeah. He, I don't I I just I, before before you go on from that, it makes mm-hmm. me think: Does anybody deserve prison? Like, mm. is there 
in this country, we believe in this idea of redemptive violence, uh, with prison being the redemptive violence in this case. And it, it, is this even a, a punishment that works on any level? And do punitive punishments work? Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity of uh, volunteering um, with Alternatives mm-hmm. to Violence Project in Attica, and uh, that was one of the things the guys would talk about it being such a positive thing for them in the prison. They said because the prison doesn't want us to have any anything positive. They want to look at uh, prison is not this time where we can uh, learn and grow and and uh, work on positive things. It's all about negative and, and punishment. And uh, and I asked them, I said, do you think that works? And they said, well, what do you think? <laughs> so I don't know. It was, it was interesting to me to have that perspective uh, volunteering almost a year in the prison system, um, talking to the guys about that and seeing... Um, kind of their perspective on Mm -hmm. this idea of like kind of the negative, uh, the punishment aspect of what prison does. Yeah. And there are countries to look at and other documentaries. And we're talking a lot about documentaries today. Um, but there are documentaries that show what works in other countries, uh, what has some of the lowest recidivism recidivation rates. Mm -hmm. And, um, Mm -hmm. and it's certainly not the system that we have in place here in the U S Well, I think, again, we, we cannot overlook <clears throat> the money value assigned with incarcerating people in our society. We are a capitalist society, so if we remove X number of persons from the workforce, if we abuse their uh, skills, their labor, as Nikki said, 20 cents an hour, nobody could survive on that in the U.S. anywhere. Um then it benefits. It benefits a system that is set up that is a violent system. I mean, mm-hmm. capitalism is predicated on, it's a predatory uh, system of, mm-hmm. of economics. And I think that's the bottom line where so many other countries where the uh, prison population is lower, even in Canada, just to the, to the north of us, there's a whole different concept of... of um, incarceration, and even um, rehabilitation of the person who's, quote-unquote, broken the law. It's um, <clears throat> what becomes a, such a tragedy in the U.S. is that persons are, are labeled or ostracized for life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it happens way far more too often to people in the hood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, well, and I think that what we're what we're discussing is is the debate of if justice is restorative or is it re- retributive. That's right. You yes. know, is it mm-hmm. punitive versus punitive. restorative? And exactly. I don't think um, so. So a lot of you know, I think we we don't have that. We we don't have the restorative model. I think at one point there were restorative things in place in some prisons, like maybe Austin, some of the programs you're involved in or were involved in. Um, I, you know, my, my, um, former professor I quoted who, you know, said he, he did, um, benefit from, um, education during his time and was able to use that as a tool to, to, you know, pull his bootstraps 
once he got out and um, go further. But um, by and large, no, it is not a restorative system, right? It, it continues the oppression. Well, and when, even when these restorative things are attempted, it, it is hard to be a part of those. And Austin, you could probably speak to this, just how hard you are subjected to being ridiculed by the guards as well in this process. Ah, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I went into, you know, simple things like going in to get fingerprinting. They thought I was coming in for a, a job interview. And when I told them I was with um, AVP, they, they the guards kind of snickered and laughed at me. And the one even asked if, if he wanted, um, if I wanted him to walk me to my car, walk me back to my car, like, um, like the, the alternatives to violence. I was like, um, a lesser man, mm-hmm. uh, kind of this, uh, look down upon, um, not the tough guy that they thought I was coming in for uh, a job interview. And that, um, you know, sent kind of a chill up my spine here. I am trying to, 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 to do a little positive work in, in within the prison system and to be ridiculed by someone who had, you know, a New York state, um, uniform on, you know, had the badge of the state on and here I am being well, mocked. It's, it's called correct, correction officer, right? So even yeah. that title it's implies something. Yeah, it mm-hmm. implies something that not, mm-hmm. isn't necessarily... Well, there are so many of these programs that don't last or that fall apart because it's it's hard to maintain uh, both to be allowed into the prison, but also to maintain a number of volunteers that are willing to be subjected to, mm-hmm. to this. So it's, it's, it's just not... It's not a place that's ripe for um, any sort of restorative practice. Sure. Well, and to add to that, Austin, you had mentioned this, you were doing this in Attica, Attica. Yeah. And so I grew up not too far from Attica and yep. And um, what I recall, um, and this was in the eighties, Late 80s, I mean, I, I grew up, we, we left that area in 89. And so um, I recall even as a kid, people, you know, have still feeling very connected to the riots of the prison, right? So it was mm. at 1971. Yes. And so um, I think that, that pro- that's potentially, you know, something that still continues to be a carryover that, you know... Um, that kind of community divide, which I think the divide is natural just by, you know, by, by just natural, you know, the, the a corrections officer and a prisoner don't necessarily gel, <laughs> but I know in Attica, there's a, there's an even more of a kind of, um, negative, you know, uh, narrative about the prison because of the riots. Yeah, and, and, sure. and, you know, and, and, and corrections officers, some died, you know, people lost family members in that, um, in that incident. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes kind of, a, a battle cry, like remember the Alamo or remember mm-hmm. the main in a sense of, see, this is what will happen. It, it's the same uh, kind of, um, I don't know, labeling that we have with, say, the insurrection of Nat Turner or Denmark Vesey. You know, mm-hmm. it was <clears throat> white women in the South were told to fear black men because if you don't see what will happen, they'll 
rise up against us and all you need is one example and we're going to use that example for everything for everything Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm. it becomes what is it uh the poster child Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah for the campaign yeah and this works both ways i know we talked about this last time we spoke uh but this is like you have one example if you have one example of somebody that's perfect like squeaky clean like barack obama we're going to uphold that example of well see racism is over Mm. and if you have one bad example we're going to uphold that as often as we can and say see i told you yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. so you can't win you can't win (laughs) right Mm -hmm. you can't win uh neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except Mm -hmm. as a punishment for crime yes that is written in the 13th amendment Yes. And that accept part, accept as a punishment for crime, is what is being exploited by capitalism. Yep, all the time. All the yep. time. Yep. So, mm-hmm. so right. So then, prisoners, criminals, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, are slaves. Yes. Right. Like it's, that's it's, right. It's, yeah. Yes. Under the Constitution. Yeah. Under mm-hmm. the Constitution. Persons convicted mm-hmm. of uh, felony. Uh, I guess trespass, trespasses are considered owned by the either the state or the federal government. Yep. Mm-hmm. I who's who's that one rapper? Um, state property. Who is that? Oh um, yes. Oh gosh. Why am I? I can see the. Uh, yeah. Is it? I don't know why I'm wanting cover. to say Meek Mill. It's not Meek Mill. Um, who I'm not familiar is it? with them, but I can see the oh, state. Oh god. The, uh, I'll think of it at some point before this conversation is over. But yes. State property. People, incarcerated people belong to the state. Even under the the um, community and community um, justice, or I think it's community incarceration, which is parole and probation. Oh, mm-hmm. Still state property. Beanie. Beanie, be, yeah, yeah. Um, I, then I was going to say Beanie Man. It's Beanie Seagal. Yes. Yes, yes. yes. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. It would have driven me crazy. (laughs) So I want, I want to bring us, uh, into something that we like to do often, just a little kind of interpersonal, um, more micro level, uh, interaction, uh, around race and privilege. Uh, last time we spoke, I made a comment. I said, I need some drugs when mm-hmm. we talk about our current president. Now, this comment uh, I wanted to talk about, what, this sounds very different coming from me, a white privileged man, um, and being able to make that comment without having any sort of negative um, ideas floating around in people's mind, just thinking, oh, that's funny, ha, ha, ha. We all laughed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. Um, uh, what does this comment mean if it's not me saying this comment? <laughs> and in what setting am I able to say this? And um, and and why am I able to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think you've already named it. It's privilege. Mm-hmm. It's it's an assumption of innocence. Um, um, you know, not to be taken seriously. Non-threatening. Um, it's the same principle at work that you're able to walk into an elevator, and the, the white woman standing there will not clutch her purse or mm. cower into the corner 
mm-hmm. uh, out of fear that you're going to attack her, attack her person or her property. It's just, yeah. it's the world in which society in which we live. Is it right? No, <laughs> by no means. But, but is it reality? Mm-hmm. It is reality. Well, I think as as white people, it requires us to do a lot of uh, looking at and coming to terms with this idea that we are extremely privileged um, and being able to name that and say white privilege is, is extremely real um, and and I benefit from it millions of times a day, most of the time without knowing it. And uh, that's not an easy thing for a lot of people to be able to uh, say and admit Mm -hmm. because it means that uh, on some level I did not earn where I am. Mm -hmm. And we live in such a society that um, encourages us to uh, be both individualistic and also say, I made it and I earned this. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Agreed. And I, and I'm trying to, Right, that whole message of, you know, you you didn't earn something, and that actually is what privilege is, right? That you right. are benefiting mm-hmm. from something that you did nothing to 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 benefit from, mm-hmm. and so, um, and I I agree that white privilege is a thing. I mean, I think privilege in general is a thing. I think I benefit from light skin privilege. You know, I I benefit from education privilege. You know, like we. So I think I I, mm-hmm. I want for people to stop thinking of privilege is a bad thing and start thinking of it as in terms of it exists and how do we use it to, you know, move the conversation forward and develop, you know, um, more unified communities. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you, you've got to want that, I think, especially, maybe not especially, but as far as personally as a, a white person, I think I could have continued to live in, you know, ninety-eight point nine percent white communities, yeah. where I never had to really think about this stuff, and I never had to process it. Um, but for me, it was important to, to to try to learn from people who were different than me. Yeah. And I'm not saying there's anything special about me, but that was just an aspect of of my growth and development that I was like, I am missing that piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I read the book uh, in college by Beverly Tatum called Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the uh, Cafeteria? And her perspective really helped me. I remember the first half of the book, I didn't like it, and I was making all these negative comments in the margins. And then halfway through, I thought, you know, her perspective is very different than mine, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. And it really kind of helped open my eyes to... Um, um, some of the things she was talking about in the book, and uh, um, and that was life changing for me. But you've got to mm. want it, and I don't know how to 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 help people see that. Well, that's a right. Mm-hmm. That's a mm-hmm. yeah. great mystery. Mm-hmm. I agree. It is a great mystery. Yeah, I think it's important too to understand that even coming to grips with white privilege or understanding it from a personal standpoint. Um, does not eradicate it from an institutional standpoint. Amen. Mm-hmm. Because you still have you still have the choice to go back to Pittsburgh, to go back to wherever 
Whereas I don't. <laughs> I'm stuck. Right. That's right. Uh, I'm here uh, until I draw the last breath. <clears throat> I will be identified as African American, Black, Negro, or something negative <laughs> in terms of racial slur. Um, and I think that's where, in my humble opinion, where the breakdown happens is that we we talk we. The buzzword now is to talk about privilege, but what are we doing to move our society toward a place of privilege? Yeah, there are, I mean, by virtue of education, I have privilege. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I can open my phone here, and um, there are several people with uh, PhDs with an MD behind their name, MBA, Cornell graduate, UPenn graduate, mm-hmm. uh, that the average bro on Genesee Street would not have access to. I mean, and that's privilege. Um, mm-hmm. What do I do with it, though? Mm-hmm. You, know, <clears throat> you know, how do I use it to, in fact, one person with a PhD is, is phoning me right now. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's... it's. Um, you talked him up. Yeah, I talked him up. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it, it is. I mean, it's it's um, <clears throat> it's the reality in which we live and and um, just acknowledging that I have, I guess you would call it class privilege, mm-hmm. is not enough. It's 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 got to be. Um, I got to move beyond that. I guess is what I'm saying. Making it personal. I, yeah. I, I can't stay there, and and I try to do that in interacting. I, I live here in the city, and I try to make sure that I'm not doing it from oh. Well, I went to college, so I'm better than you are. So let mm-hmm. me tell you something. Mm-hmm. As opposed to trying to help individuals understand their own journey and how they can become a more developed person, a more fulfilled person um, through that journey, and um, and breaking the cycle. I guess it's just so overwhelming to me to see the cycle of. I don't even want to call it poverty because I guess again we are signing money to. Values yeah. and, and and that bothers me, you know, to say that, <clears throat> um, you know, you're not developed because you don't have a million dollars at your disposal. Now I know that we need money in our society to live, to be, <laughs> uh, to be healthy, uh, a number of things we need it for. But I guess I want to move away from um, saying to a person who's grew up in abject poverty. Well, if you do this, you can become rich because that's going to solve all your problems. Just um, become a wealthy person, you know, either rock, uh, rap or athletic skills or something, winning the lottery and and, and everything is going to be perfect. And I don't want to give that message either. Um, So that's my spill on privilege. (laughs) I want to be able to use it to to the benefit of not only myself but others, the community, mm-hmm. and I think that's what I hear you saying, Austin. That you know, it's um, you're making the choice and you're you're trying to be uh, visible and not bringing all the answers, but coming also to learn from mm-hmm. the experience. That's mm-hmm. right. And I think that's where it needs needs to start is that we we have to maintain and acknowledge the humanity in each other. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, in, and until our neighbors' problems become our own problems, it's right, really hard right. to do. It is. Mm-hmm. And can I just take a minute yeah. and say, too, because I'm not sure it came out clearly in the discussion, but it might be important for listeners to know and understand that 
um, you know, Brian and Austin, where where you live. Yeah, where do we live? <laughs> not in Pittsburgh. No. Yeah, not in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's been intentional choices made on on making sure that we are surrounding ourselves with neighbors who are teaching us mm-hmm. um, and helping us grow in ways that that wouldn't be happening had we uh, remained in a in a homogenous and economically advantaged mm-hmm. right. um, area, and uh, and and I gotta say, like from our perspective, we are learning so much about community and how to better rely on one another and things that um, really we want to be a priority um, over what we were taught to be a priority. Um, you, meaning you and your wife, yes, Chris, our great producer, Kristen. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know if that's a, a detailed enough explanation, but we're way off topic now. I think that's the reason that we can have mass incarceration because, um, you know, individuals who are making decisions, individuals who benefit from the decisions don't know people who are going to prison. They have no clue. Mm -hmm. It's an abstract notion of the urban thug um, that's been painted by media, by Mm -hmm. black exploitation movies of the 70s, Mm -hmm. uh, you name it. Um, There's a a producer and filmmaker today that I have, I will not mention his name, a terrible time with for just perpetuating uh, stereotypes of a, a black matriarch who... The weed smoking, gun slinging, um, you know, uh, person. Whereas, you know, this is not. I grew up in the in the deep south, and this was not the um, persona that we um, honored as matriarchs of our communities. Uh, they were, um, you know, domestics and teachers and nurses and housewives who nurtured uh, our communities and and nurtured uh, leadership and and provided values for us, not um, um, persons that, were, that are being put out there. And it's not only the U.S. that sees this character. I think we all know who I'm talking about, mm-hmm. the character. But the whole world. <clears throat> I've had Asian people come up to me and talk about this character and want to laugh. and Or I've had Asian people come up to me at work and want to shuck and jive, you know, um, because they see me as a black man, so they think... The only way that I communicate is what they've seen in a movie. Right. <laughs> and and that's the, the negative right. image that just keeps getting perpetuated, perpetuated, perpetuated. I don't care how many uh, Harvard or Yale-trained Barack Obamas and Cory Bookers you see, it, it's not enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. You get 10,000 more of the, of the negative uh, mm-hmm. that cancels out. You know, mm-hmm. so. Well, and it, and it makes it even worse in a way, too, because it says... Hey, these people are doing it right, and these ones are not. Right, and you should be able to be like these. That's people. the argument. Yes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's the argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know one of the one of the biggest problems societally is that um, we're not, as a society, uh, from a structural standpoint, willing to be integrated. We're, I mean, this this city especially is extremely, extremely segregated. It is, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and, and in, until we make a decision as people of privilege to surround ourselves with people that do not look like us, 
um, we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Rochester is an extremely segregated uh, town, if you will. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and again, I think that's, again, why we can, you know, lock them up and throw away the key because it's, it's not my son or my nephew or my neighbor or my cousin mm-hmm. or my colleague at work. Mm-hmm. It's, it's um, very easy to just scapegoat. Um. Yeah, and and there's also a um, there's also a, this idea of using privilege for good. I feel like has been in a way um, co opted by religion uh, yes. to perpetuate white savior mentality. Yes, and and I feel like that's I knew a, that's where you were going. It's a big. It's just a big danger. Um, I mean, even where we grew up, the, the city is seen as a uh, kind of a religious um, mission field mission, yeah. and uh, not as a place to live, but a place to go and save. Rescue. Yeah. Rescue. Yeah. And, and, and that is, I just feel like so dehumanizing mm-hmm. in so many ways. And now, mm-hmm. you know, living here and experiencing that from that side and having people come to our door and having groups come through our neighborhood, it feels horrible. Yeah. yeah the missionary. Yeah. Yeah. Missionary yeah. 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 I've seen it. Um, you know, the, the flower city work camps, they come to, yes. to the neighborhood. And I was, when I was in high school, I was a part of those groups, not that one in particular, but I went to these poor urban neighborhoods mm-hmm. and we did bible camps and we painted houses and we built ramps and just patting ourselves on the back meanwhile now that i'm seeing it from this perspective of living here right it, it is it just feels oh like you know here we come in for a week and do all this great work and then we leave we don't we don't build any relationships we don't we don't mm. get to know anybody we're just in and out and and I think that's a big thing. There's no, there's no long-term well, relationship. Yeah, yep. And I think I, I'm just like jumping right in here, Brian. Please do. Please do. <laughs> um, I think though, um, so I, I thought right away of Jared Diamond and Golden Souls, right? Like, mm. like missionary work and yes. save, savior mentality is the actual foundation for slavery, Right. Yes. So that's mm-hmm. that's right. That's important to note. But um, I think Reggie, you said it that that I I think what doesn't happen in Austin, you're kind of spelling it out in your experience. Um, I think what what is missing and all that is is the listening and you know actually listening to the people that you are interacting with that don't look like you. Right. And so yes. so I'm talking about unifying versus saving. Yes. That's I think that's the difference. Mm-hmm. How can we sit together? How can we learn together? How what can I learn from you? What you know, that is I think what doesn't tend to happen in those missionary you know and in, and in order kind to do that we need to have a relationship. Yeah. We need yeah, yeah. to be in community together. Yeah. And not be so separate, right? You know, we we right. can't We're, do that on a level and go back to yeah. our. It takes a, a deprogramming yeah. of values. Let me bring a personal point. I struggled for years with people of African descent, African Americans, Black people, who um, spoke vernacular. Mm-hmm. Um. Because I was taught 
from grade one that the standard way of speaking English, that subjects and verbs agree per the rules of English, that you use the proper tense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, just the whole nine yards. We, we drilled on it, taken to the blackboards and learned how to diagram sentences. I knew what an indirect object was, a direct object, what a gerund was, an infinitive. I mean, just the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. And that was part of the missionary drive, too, with, particularly with southern black schools, was to uh, uh, just drive home um, that you had to be better at the English language than the people who originated it. In other words, white folk. Mm -hmm. You enunciated your words and your subjects and verbs agree. And here I am, <laughs> a black man, looking down on people who did not follow those rules. So or I remember being frustrated because... Um, uh, starting the ancestry program I, uh, dot com, uh, finding my great great grandmother. I know where she's buried, but there's no marker there. So mm -hmm. it's like, gosh, we're less than because we didn't have these nice fancy cemeteries that white people in my hometown did. You know, post uh, pre Civil War. So you know, all their ancestors mm -hmm. going back to the early 19th century are marked and with nice big stones and. But oral tradition, which is so big in the African-American community, is just as valued as the written community, if we do that. Mm -hmm. But we don't. We, say, <laughs> we tell people, you have to learn how to read and write. You have to become white mm -hmm. in order to be a better person in this world. Mm -hmm. And that is so wrong. I, 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 I've made that discovery after 40 years of living. Like, gosh, I got this thing wrong. And I didn't realize it until I, I viewed... Spike Lee's movie, uh, School Days, mm. like 20 years after it came out. And I was actually a walkthrough in that movie on campus. Um, uh -huh. yeah, you don't even, yeah, yeah you, I don't think you even see me. I think he cut it out. But, um, Love a viewing um, party. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but <laughs> it, it's such the mindset. The, the, the missionaries who came uh, south and started all those historically black colleges uh, we laud them, we praise them. And in a way, I can understand and appreciate what they did, but in a, in a, in a larger sense, it validated the second-class uh, status of persons who had been, in car who had been enslaved. Mm -hmm. and, and because we did not have the same patriarchal um, lineage, we didn't have the same um, way of recording our histories or our family histories. We talked about the swelling of the Nile as opposed to it being 1482. It was the, the spring that the Nile swole and, you know, so many people were killed. But that doesn't make that any less than, you know, what the Portuguese were recording in 1480. <laughs> it's, it's just a different way of looking at the world. And so it even, it goes, you know, just beyond contemporary to Historically, the way we look at each other is, and the way we look at ourselves, because that's what we've been taught. I mean, we as African Americans. Mm -hmm. It feels like a mix of colonization and divide and conquer. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know? Can I ask, Reggie? You, um, you said that you, when you reflected, you recognized you would feel frustrated when you know you would experience. Uh, you know, people who look like you not speaking proper and not using the, the proper English and et cetera. Yes. Um, and do you, can you say a little more about that frustration? Like, do you know like where that frustration came from? Have you like thought about, thought about it 
that well, that fire? The school system. I mean, mm-hmm. from day one, the first two years of my formal education were segregated. Mm-hmm. I went to pre-K and K. Uh, the school system had in place for white students a pre-K and K system. They did not for people of African descent in my hometown. So the Federation of Negro Women's Club started a a, um, a school that was actually in the same building that my grandmother attended uh, as a child in her 20s, a pre-K and a K program for us. So 1969, 1970, 1970, 1971, I was in that program, and all black, uh, black teachers, um, and, and it started there mm-hmm. uh, with... Um, you know, making sure that we spoke properly. Mm-hmm. Um, good morning. It was always just um, an indoctrinization of just of, of white culture. Mm-hmm. It started early on. And, and not to mention that um, the programs like Sesame Street and some of the local kids programs all um, painted uh the blue-eyed blonde kid in the in the button-down oxford shirt with the khaki pants mm-hmm. as the model i mean mm-hmm. the, the new england prep school um you know that's the model of being in our society um and mind you when i started school the afros and the flare leg plants and the um platform shoes are what my older brothers were wearing and Leave it to Beaver wasn't wearing that, or Wally Beaver wasn't yeah. wearing that, or maybe they did on the Brady Bunch, but they didn't talk the way the guys did in my hometown. We, we didn't say groovy, and but that was what was modeled. Greg, you know, Greg Brady, um, mm-hmm. my three sons. You know, I, I know I'm dating myself because I'm a lot older than everybody else sitting here. Those <laughs> no, were the I models, still say groovy. Those <laughs> were the models of um, of what it meant to be an American. Yeah, to, to be uh, you know you. You saluted the flag. You, <laughs> any boy can be president. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. any boy. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that language. That yeah. language, and it was just, I don't know, reinforced in literature, in movies, in. You made me think of the bluest eye. Yes, Tony Morrison. Tony Morrison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. I asked that question. Thank you for for sharing um, a little more. I asked that question um, about where the frustration comes from. I I can say, speaking for myself as a parent of a young black boy, a young black person, a young black human. Right. I I feel myself getting frustrated with him sometimes when he speaks a certain way and you know, like he how how young men speak. Yes. And I think it's. For me, it feels like a safety thing. Like, I'm afraid that a Mm -hmm. cop or some administrator is going to see him as, you know, the the kid in the hoodie who's a thug. And so so I actually, I know, I I see myself doing it as a parent, you know, over-enforcing things like what you're talking about, right? Right, right. Like, sit up, don't speak that way, don't say that, you know, like, make sure your your clothes look a certain way, you know, um... In, in front of certain people. Right. And I, I got that, too, as, as a young black male. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I have been suited, charcoal gray, corporate look, black Oxfords, 
and still treat it like a thug. Sure, <laughs> sure. Well, that's, I mean, that's they didn't the see any of that. They yeah. didn't see the college class ring or any of that. Right. That's the systemic racism right. that you're talking mm-hmm. about, right? Yes. Like we can mm-hmm. never be educated or, or have enough money in the world. You know, LeBron right. James had nigger spray painted on his garage. Right. right. You yeah. know, like it's yeah. yeah. That's the systemic. No other president yeah. has been disrespected the way Brock. Mm-hmm. Nobody would stand on the floor of the U.S. House. And call the president a liar. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, nobody else will have that experience. You know, it's, it's amazing, you know. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, but I understand where you're coming from. And I think that was part of the socialization that I received, too, was to um, present yourself. Okay. Assimilate. Right, assimilate. Yep. And, and that's part of the way we combat uh, institutional racism and sexism and I- any other ism is to assimilate those with power, you know. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and I yeah. guess understanding this that is that is what you're doing may not be a bad thing in it, in and of itself. It's it's kind of a way of outcoying or outcunning the oppressor. Is mm-hmm. to um, you know we we know that. Uh, Mr. Obama would not have been elected had he not been able to speak the king's language mm-hmm. without Harvard law degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, highly unlikely. Sure. And he had to downplay race. I mean, to to my own frustration with him. I mean, he really had to to yeah. downplay it. I mean, you know, I can hear him saying now, "Look," <laughs> his favorite. We're, look, yeah. <laughs> we're all one American. No, Barack, we're not. <laughs> you know we're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Take that Secret Service detail away from you and see how quickly people will be running from you in D.C. And you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think we. Yep, I think we. To your point, we we code switch for survival, right? Yes. Like some of us do that, like speak dual a certain, consciousness. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I actually believe Reggie that, that I think it's external survival, but I think internally, I think we're dying. Like, I think we are, you know, when we yeah. exist in a world where we can't be ourselves, right. um, that we are some, that I think we are, it sickens us, you know. I think that that Certainly. is, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's called mm-hmm. high blood pressure yep. and diabetes yep. and yep. a yep. lot of other hypervigilance, stress, yes. depression, yes. like all these things that we go through. All the ropes we need to, you know, kind of mm-hmm. climb over and under mm-hmm. just to go to work, yes. just to exist, you know. Um, so, so I actually think that that is, is, um, you know, and I think that the poverty. I agree with you that it's not just about money, but I think we have poverty of dot 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 yes. so many other things and yes. so um mm-hmm. you know um I, that's kind of my dog in this race is that i think that um that that until we get to a place where um you know uh people that are in poverty people that are in urban communities can you know um be ourselves and and just be okay you know acceptance like personal acceptance, but then of course, as you as you pointed out, there's yeah. there's the structural piece right. that that none of us really can get away from. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. It's a plague. It is yeah. a plague. We're not really talking about mass incarceration anymore, wow. are we? <laughs> on, well, on that note, I think we may be out of time. Are we? Day. Okay. And uh, th- these always go so fast. And uh, 
And, you know, I'm, I'm just thankful that we have uh, so many great listeners and, um, and we're going to keep this conversation going. We have so many other topics to talk about. So, uh, you know, stay tuned. Thank you for listening to A Friend of a Friend. Be sure to subscribe on Google Podcasts or iTunes. We'll see you next time. Sorry. Be sure to describe. Sorry.